The scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you, may, that you must no longer live lives as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their, of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you've learned. When you heard about, the, about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful, deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created in the like, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we all are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it, may be benef uh, that it may benefit those who listen, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with, you, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just, in Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Just a reminder uh, to take a moment and turn off your electronic devices uh, or uh, other things that might make noise. <laughs> uh, before we pray, just, just a word too about um, the midweek at Mac Mills. Uh, they're coming to an end uh, at the end of this month. And uh, there's all kinds of people to, uh, to thank that are involved with making sure that there's, uh, there's plenty of food and the preparation and the buying of it and the, the, the cooking of it and the serving of it and all of these kinds of things. It, it's, just, it's a great time for us to come together as a church between our early bird classes and our 7 o'clock Bible classes on Wednesday nights for the purpose of fellowship and being together and, and, and loving one another and catching up and all of those good things that happen at, in the fellowship hall during that uh, that meal uh, it's also uh, another opportunity and mark uh, spoke of it in his mission moment this morning that uh, as you know we we have partnered with the north side church of christ here in san antonio to uh, to help support the san luis team uh, three families that have been a part of the north side church for a number of years and have uh, have gone uh, through uh, some some training and have spent some time in Brazil getting getting ready. They're going to go into sort of the, the heavy-duty training beginning in June. But uh, one of the things that happens during that midweek at MacMill is that uh, some of those families who are new to a lot of us come and, and they eat that meal with us. And so if you see a, a member of, uh, of that team 
that has uh, shown up, and we'll, we'll try to do a better job of pointing them out to make sure that you know where they are and where they're located, since they are new to us and uh, sometimes unrecognizable uh, because we just don't know them that well, that you go up and that you spend some time with them. And I think there's at least one, maybe sometimes two of those families out of the three that show up uh, in an effort to, to get to know our church family, since we're going to be involved, uh, you know, not primarily financially, even though that's a big part of it, but to be involved with them prayerfully and, and spiritually as they get ready and enter into that work in Brazil. And so just, just a word about that before we get into the sermon. Let's, uh, let's have our prayer. And just a reminder, you find the sermon outline inside of that, that bulletin that you can use as we go through this message on Ephesians chapter 4. Let's bow our heads and join our hearts. Holy Father, you are gracious and clothed in majesty You are mighty, yet you save us with mercy. And you change us with power and love and your spirit. Bless our lives as your children. Bless our unity as your church. Give us help and courage to look like you in this community. And give us insight and bravery to conform to your image in all that we do, beginning with our hearts and minds and going all the way out to the tips of our fingers in the way that we live for your Son. And this we pray with all of our heart in his name. Amen. Amen. Ancient Roman world, which is where church in Ephesus finds its context, was, uh, in in a manner of speaking, an in-your-face society. And this was especially true when it came to public displays of status. Basically showing off in the ancient Roman Empire, the ancient Roman world, was the norm. And that was nowhere more true than in the way that they would dress. How you dressed said something about you. How you dressed said something about your status and about your achievement and about your acclaim as a Roman. Or that you didn't have any of those things. For instance, if you were a Roman senator, which was uh, an appointment for life and and of of, of great achievement in the eyes of all of the Romans, there would be on your toga these uh, these vertical uh, scarlet or or red wide stripes that would go up and down. You'd wear scarlet slippers and you'd have an iron ring. And when you walked into a room, everybody knew that you were a senator and they knew that you were a great man and you were happy about that. If you were a Roman centurion or a Roman soldier or a Roman general, you could tell who you were if you were military in the ancient Roman Empire by what you wore. Uh, The tunics were worn by common folk and they were worn also by slaves. And if a slave had been given his freedom, he wore a stocking cap that was not unlike those caps that the French revolutionaries wore uh, back in the 18th century. Same thing happens today. That's not just their culture. It's our culture as well. Um, think, think about uh, tennis shoes for a minute. I mean, this is something that you put on your feet, but if you've got a middle school boy or older and you're a father, you've probably had a tussle with them over the price of, of tennis shoes because of what tennis shoes say to middle schoolers. 
Think about this image that's up on the screen. A business person is going to dress in a certain sort of a way. He's going to wear a suit or she's going to wear a suit. And if that person walks into the HEB, you know for a fact that they're probably not working at the HEB. They do something probably professionally. There's a certain kind of a hat that can identify you. What does this guy do? He's cowboy. Tough cowboy is who that guy is. You know immediately that these folks up here on the screen are Marines and not ballerinas. Simplify. Firefighters, easily identifiable by the kinds of coats and the colors that they wear. We can even spot a person by what they wear and can see that they don't live in a home. Our clothes tell us something about who we are. Now this phenomena from the ancient world, and it carries on over into our modern world, is something that Paul uses as a stepping stone to this next section in Ephesians. Paul is going to use the language of literally getting undressed and then redressed as a metaphor as to what happens when somebody believes the gospel. In Paul's mind, a Christian should be identifiable not because of a, the certain physical clothing that they wear, that's the metaphor, by their, but by their life that is observable. That you should be able to see that they are a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth because of their life, verse 17. Or their attitudes, verse 23. Or honesty, they live an honest and genuine and authentic life, verse 25. In verse 26, he says you should be able to observe it in the kind of emotional life that they have. Or in their speech, verse 29. Or in verse 31, their self-control. Or in verse 32, they're kind. Or also in verse 32, that they have this forgiving power. They seem to be people who know how to forgive other human beings. Now, it's sort of a practical application to help us get our minds around what it is that Paul is doing in the text that David read for us just a minute ago. Uh, just answer this question for a moment in your own heart and in your own mind. Are people surprised to learn that you are a disciple of Jesus, that you are a Christian after knowing you for a long time? Or does that knowledge explain everything to them? of why you are the way you are. One of the things that is a part of our culture, I think, especially in the Western world, is that you can become a spiritual chameleon blending into the thorns and the thistles of a fallen world. And that that is one of the reasons that kind of shocks people when they discover that you're a disciple of Jesus. Paul is trying to help the church in Ephesus to understand that when you become a Christian, there is more going on than just forgiveness. Too many disciples, too many Christians are wedded to a gospel that never gets past the fact that our sins have been forgiven. A gospel that only gets to the forgiveness part and no further does not necessarily lead to the understanding that there is a new supreme ruler in all of the universe in our life right now taking charge. A gospel that is wholly defined and wholly focused on forgiveness can lead one to believe that you don't really need Jesus in your life all that much after baptism. I've been forgiven. See you in heaven. This is... 
for Paul, this is an incredibly important thing to get embedded into their thinking. And not only is it important to get there, but Paul insists on it. He says in verse 17, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. Three things. Off with the old, on with the new, and making the look look natural. Making the look natural. Let's look at that first one. Taking off the old. When a human being becomes a disciple of Jesus, when they have entered into the body of Christ, they become a Christian, a child of God. They receive not a new leaf, but a new life. And the old life is to be abandoned. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, that's the old life, to put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now what Paul is insisting on is much more profound (coughs) change than just changing some of your behaviors. He's talking about a comprehensive change that is for all of life. It's a whole life change that happens when you enter into the kingdom of God. There is a change of life from being given over to things that are not God, that is, to be surrendered to them, That language is another way of saying enslaved or under the control of, that you have surrendered yourself to these other things that are not God. You put that old life off. He says in verse 19, speaking of those that are still surrendered to other things that are not God, he says they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. The old life is the life that is given over to the wrong things. And when... We give our lives over to those things. They are inevitably, without failure, 100% of the time going to disappoint us. We think that these are the things that are going to make our life or they're going to break our life. Think about education. I mean, we put all of our self-esteem and self-imaging eggs in one basket. And what we're thinking is that with that education and those letters after our name, that we can finally be somebody and that's going to be recognized by everyone. Or we think that after that education, we're going to get the job of our dreams. And maybe sometimes that happens, but sometimes, a lot of times, it doesn't and it breaks us. Or it's family. Or it's wealth. Or it's a relationship. You know, somebody that I can go out to dinner with and text other people. (laughs) <laughs> you, you give yourself over to anything that is not God, my friends. It will absolutely distort your life. And notice that one of the things that Paul does here, and I think very, very wisely, is to paint a pretty vivid picture of what that old life that has been given over to all of these things that are not God, that distort us, he paints a very vivid picture of what that old life looks like. He says, ignorance, He talks about a hardening of the heart, a loss of sensitivity, indulgent, corrupted, deceit inside and out. Why in the world does he take the time to paint that kind of picture when he's talking about that? Many of you know, because you watch TV, that there is a pretty popular anti-smoking campaign that shows a picture with a, a voice over 
And the picture is of a longtime smoker that looked what, you know, what they looked like in their, their younger years when their whole life was ahead of them, and they were beautiful and vibrant and energetic. Then at the end of the ad, you see the person who is speaking the message in the present, and they have become, because of this thing that they surrendered their life to, they become horrific, and the suffering is profound, and the quality of life is down the drain. You, you get the picture. But what the ad does is to create a very vivid picture of the nightmare that smoking leads to. The message being, I will die if I keep doing this. Now I want to be very careful in how I say this. What Paul is saying is that the life that is separated from God, that's his language. The life that is separated from God is like a nightmare when it's compared to what is offered, the life that is with God. And he says that's why you have to put it off, especially if you have become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Putting off is something that will save your life, and it's part of what it means to be conformed to the image of God. And, I, there, and this is more than just saying no, right? I mean, a lot of churches on the religious landscape that says don't do this and don't do that and that's sort of the sum message you remember the just say no to drugs campaign uh, back in the 1980s and the 1990s the uh, war against drugs campaign those two decades um, uh, primarily through the reagan years I, you know it was, a, it was a decent attempt it was it was a good campaign it had good motivation but you know it by and large failed it by and large failed and you know why because you can't say no to something without saying what yes to something else. And that's what Paul is doing. He's giving them this very vivid picture of what the old self, reminding them of what it meant to be a slave to something that was going to kill them. And he says, you know, you, you got to put that off. You got to undress those soiled clothes of the past life and the old self and the former life in order to put on what it is that you're saying yes to, which means there's something that you put on that's new. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The most amazing thing about this verse is one of the last things that we, we believe about human beings. By the power of God, you can change. I remember one time sitting with some folk, disciples of, of Jesus, Christians, and one of them made the comment that, you know, once about somebody gets to the age of 40, they can't change. And I, and I said, are you telling me that by the time you get to 40, your mind and your body and your heart and your desires and all of that trump the power of God's Spirit in the heart of a disciple. If you get nothing out of this message this morning, get this fact that because of God and because of what God is doing in your life, one of the most powerful things about the Christian life is that it's a life that can change. A Christian can't say change is impossible because the power of God is there as we have seen throughout the letter to the Ephesians. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be quick all the time but change is possible and part of that change is the result of considering your life 
Most of us do the things we do and the way that we do these things because of the way that we saw them done in our life at an early age. Or it's something that we've been taught. Paul says that there's a new teaching that has entered into your heart and into your mind. In verse 20 and 21 he says, However, this is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. What Paul is saying is because of this new teaching that's come into your life, we consider our lives. We consider them. We examine our lives. Because Christians are people who have moved from one kingdom to another, and because we have a new king and one who just happens to be the king of the universe, we have to consider what kind of person is the kind of person who lives under his rule as a citizen in his nation. And so what does it mean, you have to ask the question, to, be, to put on that new self created to be like God as an Uber driver or a barista or a cook, or a nanny, or a teller, or whatever. This is, you know, and this is not something that you do alone, although there is something, a great responsibility of something to do in our own life. One of that, one thing that we do is we've got to know the teaching. That teaching that has come into our life that teaches us about the new life and the new self. And it's not just the facts, but it's who the facts point to. You know, we do a good job of, 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 of many times knowing the facts and being able to say the names and the places and, and even quoting the Scripture without really knowing who they're talking about. And that's one of the things that Jesus took the, the, the Pharisees to task to in John chapter 5. He said, you know, you, you search the Scriptures day and night diligently because you think in those Scriptures are life. But those Scriptures point to me so that you can come to me and have life. It's not just walking, but it's walking as Christ walked. And it's also about being renewed. It's not just about knowing the, the, the direct thing that we do in terms of knowing and understanding the Word of God, but it's also, there's the passive language here that says, God is the one that is renewing us. As a Christian, something happens to us when that Spirit comes into our lives. That's something they keep saying over and over and over again, that you will have this experience of the power of God to understand the grace that grips you. Presence of the Spirit, Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is one, is sanctifying us. There's a power that comes into our life that makes us holy as God is holy. Now again, change is possible. First problem, though, is that we just try to do it on our own, which is kind of the problem of the old self, right? We're going to make our life. We're going to do the things that are going to make our life. We're going to do the things that are going to make us a name. And we carry that old way of thinking into the, the new life. And it's trying to do things without God that is going to give us that life that is significant. One of the, one of the things that happens a lot of times is that we become so zealous that we enter into a new form of legalism. And it becomes all about the doing without the being of who it is that we are to become in Christ. The second problem is that either we, we're either taking on all of the responsibility or we're taking on none of the responsibility and giving it to God. You know, there's that, um, 
There's that old joke about a guy that was caught in a flood and he climbed on top of his house and he prayed for God to save him. And here comes a guy in a canoe and says, can you get into the boat? He says, no, I'm waiting for the Lord to save me. And the canoe leaves and here comes a guy on a motorboat. He says, hey, get in the boat, I'll save you. And he goes, I, I can't, I'm waiting on the Lord to save me. And then here comes a guy with a helicopter. He says, I'll let down a rope and get you off of the roof of that house and save you. He says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. The waters rose, he drowned, he goes to heaven. He says, God, why didn't you save me? And he said, I did. I sent you a canoe and a boat and a helicopter. But the last thing we'll say is that this is a, a natural look. We make the look natural. I think, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here. We're, we're, in fact, we're going to take this last section of Scripture and turn it into a sermon series later this year. But, you know, it's extremely important to note that this particular section of the text comes at the end and is tightly connected to the beginning of the text. The danger is to look at this list and to make it a to-do list. And what Paul is doing is helping us to understand by putting it at the end that this is not, he's not calling us to do a list. He's not introducing that new form of legalism that, you know, if I, if I do all of these things, then I'm going to go to heaven. Remember, he is calling us, verse 24, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, which means that when you see something like this list, you go, well, of course. That makes perfect sense. That's who I am. We are becoming the people by putting off the old self and putting on the new who routinely and extensively and naturally and easily do this list. We're becoming the kind of people who see something like verse 25, speak truth to your neighbor. Or verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Or in verse 28, steal no longer. Or verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate. Verse 32, be forgiving. And we see a list like that, and we respond with, of course. Who would want to live any other way? Because that is who we are. And this, this whole life transformation that we're aiming at and putting on the new self is to be created to be like God. That's why the gospel doesn't stop at forgiveness. We are being transformed into the image of God, the image of Christ by the Spirit day by day by day. We are adjusting all of our actions to fit and to, and to meet our new character. And you know where the inspiration for all of this comes from? This putting off and putting on. It comes from Christ, does it not? Christ who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, that is, he undressed himself, disrobed the glory in order to become like a human. And not just any human, but a servant. And not just any servant, but one who died, gave up his life. And not only one who gave up his life and died, but did it on the cross. 
What Paul is trying to say in Philippians chapter 2 is that Christ disrobed his glory and became like us so that we could become like him. And that is the gospel. It's not, it's not that you're saved. Every religion in the world teaches that you're saved. The gospel is that you're saved by grace and transformed into the human being you were always, always intended to be. And Christ is the one we follow in that regard. I, after 35 years, I, I guess I still don't know what to say at the invitation. The invitation is, is an opportunity to do business with your own life. To examine who you are in light of God and in the presence of God. And when you look at your life and you consider it in light of the guilt that you feel, even if you didn't know a single command of God, that guilt is there, or the meanness, or the hurt, or whatever it is that you have experienced in this life, what it is that is being offered to you is a, is a chance, an opportunity, a decision to change all of that. To not continue down that same self-destructive path but to be renewed, to take off that old stuff and to put on the new stuff that's not just holy and righteous, but, but it's transforming me into the human being that I was always intended to be in terms of the way that I love and the kindness and the way that I do work and the way that I relate to others, the way that I speak, the way that I forgive, the way that I create uh, joy in the world through my ministries and all of the things that God gives me to do to, to reverse the effects of all of that bad stuff in our life. And, and one of the things that you consider doing is repenting, which is the Bible word that says, you know, you'd make the decision that you're no longer going to go in that old direction, but you're going to go in a new direction. And you confess that there is a, a new Lord and a new King of the universe in your life, and His name is Jesus. And you participate in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, Romans 6. And you wash those sins away, and you participate in the, that, that same power that brought Jesus to life in His death is the power that comes to to work in your own life, to change you and to forgive you. And then for the rest of your life, you begin taking off that old self and putting on that new self and living as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, part of a body, part of a mission to love God and to love people and to change the world. That's what we do. But we do it not as the old person, but as the person who is being made in the likeness of God in holiness and righteousness. And if that describes you this morning, we want you to come. Ben's going to lead us in a song. And we want to praise God for the greatness of the gospel, but we also want to praise God for the ways that he has changed us and made a difference in our life. And if we can help you in any way to connect to the gospel and to the God who authored it, come down and talk to our shepherds as we stand and praise God together.